Hey there, I'm Mike. Some of you know me from the Twisted Cape. Some of you know me because laughing gas these hazmats, fast cats, lining them up like ass cracks. But regardless of how you know me, you know I love comics, and that's what we talk about on this podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Mike's Big Stack. Oh hell yeah, my thickies! Welcome to the show, everyone. Recording this week at the Thickness Bell. Uh, off the top, I want to say I messed up last week. I missed Strange Adventures number three and the X Men Free Comic Book Day issue, uh, so I'll be covering those in this episode. Also, I have a big announcement uh, for the show that I think many of you will find very fun, which we will get to at the end of the show. As always, we start by rating the thickness of my stack, so look back at it and twerk as we hit up Mike's Thickometer. Oh yeah, Mike's Thickometer. Oh, she's thick like a triple thick milkshake. This week clocks in again at an 8 out of 10 on Mike's Thickometer, just like last week. This week, there's a nice mix of DC and Marvel titles, even with the books that I didn't have last week. So we will start the show this week by going straight to the DC titles. So we're going to lead off with Action Comics number 1023. I gave it a 3.5 out of 5. I like this book actually more than the main Superman book. It does a good job of mixing in Clark and Connor and John in their respective roles as Superman. The Invisible Mafia's days may be numbered, especially now that the Red Cloud, which is a dumbass name, has likely been outed. And speaking of numbered days, it seems like the Daily Planet might be done as a thing. Uh, the Daily Planet gets raided by the feds, I believe the FBI, as Jimmy Olsen is giving Perry White some big information about the owners and the Red Cloud herself. This book has some serious potential to make some status quo changes, and I am here for it. Okay, then we're going to head over to Batgirl number 47. I gave it a 4 out of 5. For starters, this is my DC book of the week. It's Barbara versus Joker in a story that it's all about Babs being resilient and resourceful and determined all the way through. She's creative, and she's strong, and it's something that a lot of other books, specifically female-led books, lack. Uh, she goes right at Joker, and it takes place almost exclusively in her apartment, which I think is a very cool touch. It would be higher if it were easy to figure out exactly where this landed in the overall Joker War story. If it was a lead-up, I would understand it, but it doesn't seem like it's a lead-up. Also, Joker War actually kicks off in the next book we're going to talk about. And it, it's a little confusing unless they're really leaning into this whole three Jokers thing. But I really did enjoy this story. It was fun. Moving forward into Batman number 95, I gave this a 2 out of 5. It's the beginning of this arc that's been building for quote-unquote months, fuck you COVID, and it just did, really didn't do it for me. We got to see some cool Batman toys and a glimpse at a new suit, but I really am just feeling like there's not much of a plot just yet. It's, it's a little frustrating for me. And Punchline is just, can we talk about how confusing she is as a character? Why does she matter so much to the Joker? And who is she? She just kind of came out of nowhere. You just need to replace Harley. That doesn't make sense. And it's a frustrating read at times because Batman has nothing. His, his wealth is gone. His toys are gone. His cave is gone. 
He knows he has nothing. We know he has nothing, but still behaves at status quo. Still does typical stubborn Batman stuff. And it shows like he's written as as if he hasn't grown. It could be it could be a really cool story, but the it's just the start hasn't really excited me. Whereas other stories, which I'll get into later, started really strong and then just kind of fell off. So two out of five on that for me. Then I moved over to Batman and the Outsiders number 14. I gave this three and a half out of five. The book has been holding some subterfuge and used that misdirection well over the last few issues, and it culminates in this issue. Batman has clearly had plans on plans on plans, and splitting the team in two, setting one team up under Lady Shiva and one team that he is leading with Jefferson, uh, is just another part of his plans, and it's really cool to read. My biggest disappointment is that this book with such a cool cast of characters doesn't seem to tie into Joker War at all, and that's frustrating. Moving into Detective Comics 1024, another Batman book, I give this a 3.5 out of 5. This was the final lead-in to Joker War, and it was actually kind of a cool issue with some lasting impact, which which is what I like when I read these books, the, the end of these story arcs. With Joker being a remote spectator, Batman and Two-Face, who's still wearing his bat armor from the New 52 run, take on the Talons specifically, including Lincoln March. They emerge victorious, but Two-Face becomes Harvey again after Batman removes the bullet fragment that's in his brain that's really keeping him as Two-Face. Removes the, the impingement, I suppose. I like the removal of Two-Face as a villain and, and a possible arc for a redemption, or like true madness going forward. Like he's absolutely aware of all the changes that he gets to make. So I think that's a very cool potential change. Justice League Dark number 24. I gave this a two and a half out of five. The issue really served to act as a relaunch point uh, as Detective Chimp gets Wonder Woman to put the rest of the Dark Justice League back together. The issue really centers on Zatanna and a lot of her struggles to stop the Upside Down Man and uh, resurrect her dad. Uh, and it also shows the consequences of the Justice League Dark's actions up until now, which is why the team is so fractured. So if you're curious about a book, about this book in particular, I think it's a good jumping on point, but it offers little else for people who've been reading for the, the previous 23 issues. The art's pretty good, specifically the character designs on Swamp Thing who pops up uh, in the issue towards the end and Wonder Woman. I'm in love with the cloak on Wonder Woman. Like, I just think that's such a badass look. I mean, I know we've talked about armor and stuff like that, but the, the cloak is just so badass. It makes her look really cool. The book from last week that I missed, uh, Strange Adventures number three, I gave that a three out of five. Mr. Terrific's investigation in this issue gets rather personal as Alana Strange gets kind of worked up because he starts talking about their daughter, who they've lost. It's not really clear whether or not she's dead or just missing. I'm not sure. But uh, Alana takes uh, center stage here and it pits her at the end of the issue directly against Batman and Adam vents to a lot of other prominent DC heroes, including Superman and Hawkman. And, and they vouch for Mr. Terrific because of the level of detail. And Superman actually reminds him, Hey man, you kind of asked for this, remember? And, and there's an interspersed story about Adam fighting on an alien, an alien in a flashback. I mean, it's just okay. But if they keep this 
trajectory for Alana in this book. She will be a force to be reckoned with, which saved this issue from being a little bit, you know, lower in the rating. Uh, I also think it it casts a little potential misdirection to put her at the center of the mystery. I don't know exactly what she's up to, but we will see where this goes. The art in this book also continues to be stellar. Mitch, fantastic job. It just looks fantastic. All right, we are going to take a break. And then after said break, we're going to jump into those Marvel titles, baby! Hey friends, hope you're enjoying Mike's Thick Stack this week. Just wanted to let you know that if you're not already, subscribe to the Twistcast. It's a really good time and a really fun show. We talk about the news of the week. We also get into some silly hijinks and talk about some pretty cool topics. Also, if you're already subscribed and listening, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser, which is a pretty sweet platform for podcasts like ours. We look forward to hearing your feedback and talking to you more in the future. Thanks, and now back to the show. And we're back. Yeah, you feel that groove. Feel it. Feel it. Now, as you're twerking, look back at it. I'll do it with you. That's right. Now, left cheek, right cheek, both at the same time. Oh, feeling good. Looks good. Keep working on it. Do some squats in there, too. All right. So dumb. <laughs> All right. We're going to start with Amazing Spider-Man Sins Rising Prelude Number 1. I gave this a 4 out of 5. It's a strong story. It may have been the book of the week, if not for the next title we're going to talk about. This story revisits one of the most disturbing vi- Spider-Man villains and somehow makes him even darker. Uh, we know Kindred is behind Sin Eater's resurrection, uh, but I think in this book in particular, Nick Spencer gives that character a depth and a darkness that he didn't really have before. It seems like Spidey's in real trouble going forward, and especially now that the the boomerang arc is in the rearview mirror. It, like we, I feel like we're we're gonna see some character death here or dismemberment. Like I think there's going to be a, a massive status quo shift at the end of this arc, uh, and they're they're rolling towards issue number eight fifty. So uh, of course I, I believe that's coming. Next book, Daredevil number twenty one. Gave it a four and a half out of five. This is the Marvel book of the week. I never thought this would be a can't-miss book. But top to bottom, Chip Zdarsky just gets it. He does an amazing job with with Matt Murdock. He breaks him down, and he's building him back up. Uh, and, and this book is just beautifully drawn. And the story fires on all cylinders all the time. There's tons of personal growth from Matt in this issue. And in, 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 in general, in the series... And in this issue, Chip kind of can't resist a Spider-Man cameo, which he's already done a couple issues ago. Uh, but it's it's a serious Spidey compared to the Spidey he's written previously. So I just think uh, it's he just does an amazing job. This book, this series is fantastic. And I think I really want to try and get somebody on who's also been reading this book because it's that good. It's really just phenomenal. Okay, I'm going to move on to Empire number two. I gave it a three and a half out of five. Uh, the first half of the book really fe- features the villainous Koi, uh, who and the and the Katati, just basically monologuing, and then Thor breaks the uh, the Avengers big three out uh, with Mjolnir, which is a badass a badass series of panels. 
And then the back half of the book focuses on Captain Marvel and her now half-Cree lineage and her ascension to the Accuser Corps for Teddy and the rest of the Cree scroll Empire. Uh, I love the art in this. It just looked so good. But the story felt like it just kind of meandered a little bit for me. Kind of like Death Metal 2 last week. There's a bit of exposition being dumped here, but it's still an absolutely solid effort. Moving into some of the tie-ins here, Empire Avengers 1. I gave that a 3.5 out of 5. Uh, this book features such a cool contingent of Avengers going up against the Katati in the Savage Land. So the Avengers in the book, Vision, Scarlet Witch, Black Knight, Black Panther, Kazar, Brother Voodoo, and Agents of Wakanda. And they're all featured in addition to Mockingbird, Wonder Man, and Quicksilver. This is a jam-packed book that ends with Man-Thing and Shanna, who's Kazar's wife, standing against the Avengers and with the Kotati. It is just a very, very fun book. It, it reads very quickly. It's not, it's not difficult. It's, there's a lot of action uh, just jammed into this book. It was very fun. And I hope the rest of the four issues, I think it is for the series, continue at that pace. Empire X-Men number one. <laughs> I gave this a three and a half out of five as well. Written by Jonathan Hickman. And that's important because he has what seems like complete control over the X-Line, which is great. So, Plants vs. Zombies. That's exactly what this was. The Kotati versus the zombie mutants brought back to life by the Scarlet Witch. It doesn't seem essential, but how fun was this book? It was It's a ridiculous premise, and especially the line about uh, there being 16 million dead mutants and 4 million of them were vegetarians. So they're just, they're just going after it, man. It's just so fun. Hickman makes an entirely fun tie-in. It makes you feel like the character's... It doesn't make you feel like the character's in trouble, which is which is fun. You know, I want the developments out of the main book. The tie-ins should progress the story and give me a complete experience by the time this whole thing wraps up. But this doesn't feel like it's you know. I think he has. He, I think he has his his eyes set on the uh, Swords of X uh, event coming up in the fall. All right, next Empire tie-in, Lords of Empire, Emperor Hulkling. I gave this a three and a half out of five. Uh, another Zdarsky book. It just, the series seems to serve as a deep dive into each lord and their placement in the whole Empire conflict. There's lots of subterfuge and slipped-in moments that give you a little bit of depth into each character. Understand that everybody's playing a different game of chess. Some just 2D chess, some 3D chess. Some people playing checkers, and it's okay. We won't talk about them until it's time to talk about them. It's a really nice story with Teddy and Billy at the center. They were young Avengers. They fell in love. They're gay, obviously, which is fine. And it's actually a beautiful relationship. Uh, the smart thing is putting their relationship at the center of the book and then building out around that. And that's really what happens in this book. It makes you more empathetic to Teddy's struggle in the main story, being this unique character of both Kree and Skrull lineage. And his story, his struggle in the main story, really, you feel for him now, more now. All right. We got a free comic book day story here to start off with so spider-man the free comic book day number one i gave that a three and a half out of five this story reminded me why i love the pairing of black cat and spider-man and hot take i actually think i prefer that to spidey and mj 
so Spider the Spider-Man portion of the book is very fun to read, especially when they go up against the Vulture because they are ruthless. Like I know there's generally a lot of talking in Spider-Man battles, but Black Cat just shreds Vulture with with uh, <laughs> a lot of a lot of mean comments. I almost feel bad because he's such a senior citizen, but fuck that guy, he's a criminal. Uh, I also love the costume design in this book by Patrick Leeson. Giant Eye Spidey is the best Spidey. I don't care what anybody says. You can at me. You can find me in the streets. I will tell you every time that that is the best design on the Spider-Man costume. Get that little eye shit the fuck out of here. So, in the second half of the book, there's a Venom story. And there's a lot of teasing for where Donny Cates seems to be going in his Venom story. I'm not currently reading it. I've read a few issues here and there. But it's looking like it's it's going to go big. All right, next up, we have Wolverine number three. I give this three out of five. This issue rounds out the first arc, and as a result, it left me feeling just kind of meh about the book. There are some awesome moments in the book, like Wolverine drinking with Magneto and then stealing Magneto's helmet, and we get moments of him wearing Magneto's helmet, claws unsheathed as panels, and uh, thank you for that. That's phenomenal. The villain that's really a part of this the pale girl escapes so it seems like logan has some unfinished business in the future it was just an okay book uh the the art is great it looks good of course um but it's just it just you know doesn't really uh doesn't push the envelope really next for you i have x-men fantastic four number four it's the end of a limited series yeah guys i did it again i did it again come at me x-men fantastic four number four got a four out of five this issue starts uh picking up where number three left off with the x-men and fantastic four unifying to fight against dr doom the sad part for me is that kate pride spoilers here is still alive in this book which made me a little upset if you're reading marauders you understand that and if you're not reading marauders i highly recommend it it's probably the best single x book running right now Franklin has a big moment, but his issue, his issue with his powers is still a problem. Doom didn't really solve that because he gets up out of the chair soon. Uh, he winds up working on his ability, abilities in Krakoa, after all, which almost makes a lot of this series moot. But his powers deplete faster on Krakoa than they do everywhere else. So one day he comes home with Magneto and Xavier uh, just getting set for dinner. And they proceed to go talk to Reed Richards and they talk about the fact that he's made a device that could cloak or even cut off a mutant gene. And Charles mind wipes him. And he makes references to the fact that they were in the Illuminati together, so on and so forth. That's great. But what Charles Xavier does is a boss-ass move. He says, I just took it out of your mind. You can't get it back no matter how hard you try. And as Magneto's like destroying it. And he's like, before, I would have taken this part away from you, too, so you wouldn't know that it's missing. But I want you to know. I want you to lie awake at night and try to remember, but I know that you'll never be able to figure this out again. And then they walk the fuck out, and I was like, that is a badass moment. That is super cool. So I loved reading that. I loved seeing Charles be kind of a badass just in general. All right, last book here, X-Men, free comic book day number one, another free book. All right, so this was two stories in one, really, and 
the second story isn't really an X-Men book. So the X-Men portion of the book focuses on the X-Men leading up to the Swords of X storyline that's supposed to start later this year. It may be critical, it may not be, but knowing Hickman after it's all said and done, this little tease might be retroactively mind-blowing. A second story is a tease for a story called Dark Ages, which is written by Tom Taylor, which hits late this year, in 2020. Uh, if it's anything like his other work, like on X-Men Red or the Spider-Man series, the Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man series that he did, or Deceased, if you're reading that, if and if you're not reading, you're, you're you know listening to the show, it's, it's just absolutely going to be a banger. He just has this way of making you care and making you fall in love and then ripping your fucking heart out and making you watch him do it. And giving you the most satisfying possible stories. He also write, uh, did Injustice. That's right. I almost forgot about that. So, yeah. Look forward to that. It's going to be sick. All right. Again, no interview this week, but I'm still assembling that list. Still starting that schedule. If you want to be on the show, hit me up at SpiderMeg29 on Twitter. Looking ahead to next week, if everything's still accurate, on the DCN, we will see Batman Superman number 10 and Wonder Woman number 759. There are other books, but I'm not currently reading those, so I'm not going to just jump in and give you something half-assed. On the Marvel end, Empire is just rolling. It's just rolling out as much as it can. Empire number 3 will be out, and X-Men number 10 will be out. Those are stories I'm looking forward to, as well as Captain Marvel number 18, and Spider-Man as well. Alrighty, everyone, before we go this week, I have a very fun announcement. Every episode in August will be part of a contest. Each song I pick will be part of a theme. Correctly guess that theme, and there is a sweet Deadpool prize pack coming your way. But you have to get it exactly. Contest rules and prize details are up at thetwistedcape.com. The shorthand is to send guesses to thetwistedcape at gmail.com. Or if you don't mind it being public, uh, add us at the Twisted Cape and or at SpiderMike29 on Twitter. Next time you hear the show, the game will be live in the prize pack. There will be Deadpool 1, Deadpool 2... A, the original run of the Deadpool, uh, the first set of uh, Deadpool comics in graphic novel for- format. There will be a Funko Pop, and there might be some other goodies in there as well, if we can get it done in time. That is all the time we have for this week. Of course, make sure you subscribe to The Twisted Cape on your favorite podcast platform. We're at The Twisted Cape, no spaces on every social media f- platform, Facebook, the Graham, the aforementioned Twitter, and also on YouTube. Make sure you drop us a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. We love getting that feedback, especially five stars. That stuff helps us grow and charts and stuff, so lay it on me, baby. Make sure you tune in weekly to the Wednesday live show fun time extravaganza wasty timey thingy on Facebook or on YouTube and we share the link on Twitter and everything so just leaving them comments we go over them throughout and at the end of every show finally feel free to shoot us some feedback on the show to twistedcape at gmail.com and make sure you use the subject line MTS so until next time watch the way I navigate ha 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 stay safe stay twisted fix that